This is Wordfall, with historical novelist Rosanna M. White, offering our words to the Lord at the crossroads of faith, family, and fiction. Us versus them. I believe in good. I believe in evil. I believe in absolute truth. I believe that sometimes we land firmly on one side or another of this virtually eternal war, but only sometimes. I believe that more often than not, we're still in the position of Adam and Eve, standing with that forbidden fruit in our hands. We're still created in the image of God. We're still filled largely with his goodness, but we've let evil in. The question is, are we letting it rain? I listened to an audio version of a really enlightening book called The Coddling of the American Mind by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. In it, the authors are examining the recent trend of safe places and fragility of college students and using scientific research to show why it's actually harmful and then offer solutions to it. The authors begin by laying out three untruths they want to expose and refute. I highly recommend this book, especially to anyone with a child or grandchild of the internet generation. It's led our family to institute some changes. But I'm not going to just talk about the book. I'm going to talk about one of the untruths they name and examine it spiritually rather than academically. The untruth in question is this. There are good people and there are evil people, and life is just one constant struggle between these two sides. How do you know if you're on the side of good? Well, you trust your feelings. So let me say again, I do believe in good and evil, the kind with capital letters. But still, with my logic engaged, I could hear that statement and immediately know it was wrong. Why? Because of the use of the word people, first of all. And then because if you were to accept that statement as true, you'd have to rely on feelings to determine right and wrong. And we all know how fickle and often wrong our feelings can be. But let's look at the statement. Good people versus evil people. We know intellectually that this is wrong, don't we? We have to grant that it is when we consider some of Christianity's greatest heroes, and indeed our founding fathers. Paul. He was first a Christian hunter, one eager to kill the good people, which by definition makes him the enemy, right? If we call our enemy evil, that means beyond redemption, fully in the grasp of the ultimate evil one, that he has bound his will to Satan's. Was this the case for Paul? Obviously not. God saw what human eyes didn't. God saw that Paul was, in fact, wanting to seek the good, but he was laboring under a false opinion about what good really was. He was earnestly seeking God and God's will, but his feelings on what God's will was happened to be wrong. God righted him. And we ended up with the apostle. This doesn't happen with every enemy of God, obviously, but it does happen with a lot of them. The why and how are certainly important, especially because it's often through these enemies seeing the love of God at work in his people. But what I really want to focus on today isn't whether they ever change. It's how we view them, even when we remain on opposite sides. We can't force change on them, but we can control our own feelings and actions in relation to them. I cannot begin to count how many times in recent years I've heard people of opposing views label the others as evil or worst person ever or monster just because they don't agree with them. It's a natural stance to take, honestly. If you're not us, then you're them. And if you're them, you're on the wrong side. 
And more often than not, you're there because of emotions, so logic is never going to convince you to join the right side. Therefore, you are beyond help unless God himself steps in. Bring it on, God. Strike them blind and set them straight, right? But this is so, so hurtful. And not just to them, but to us, whichever us that might be. Maybe it means Christians. Maybe it means Americans. Maybe it means Republicans or Democrats, liberal or conservative. Maybe it means a particular race or a particular gender or a proponent of a particular point of view. Whatever the label we embrace, when we embrace it, we exclude from our love anyone who doesn't belong to the same camp. Seriously, this is another scientifically proven fact. Humanity is tribal. Our brains are wired to feel more empathy, sympathy, and care for those like us. But it doesn't matter how they're like us. We can make the distinction over something important, like faith, or something trivial, like the color t-shirt we're wearing. But once the groups have been made and we've been told we're part of it, MRIs show spikes that demonstrate sympathetic emotions for those of that group more than any other. Why? Because we want to belong. And when we do, we guard that belonging with ferocity. This does help us survive. It helps civilization grow, helps a tribe, then a town, then a city, then a nation to form. But once you get into a large group, like, say, this country of ours filled with such diversity, it becomes too big for us. We start breaking down into smaller factions. Anyone remember that unity for the first week or two after 9-11? It was shocking. We were, for the first time in decades, American before anything else. But it didn't take long for people to start arguing again about what that meant, to start labeling and pointing fingers and thinking once again that the monsters were not the terrorists, but them, the ones on the other side of the aisle. It's natural, but God does not call us to live in the natural, does he? He calls us to be better than what we are in the flesh, to strive to live in the spirit, who lives in us? Does God choose who to love based on their decisions, their color, their gender, their political view? God is not bound by tribal tendencies. God knows who the ultimate us versus them belongs to, and it is not in humanity. We don't have the eyes to see that spiritual war between good and evil most of the time, but we can have the eyes to see this basic truth. That person who disagrees with you, God loves them. They're not beyond redemption. They are just like us. Sinners, until they accept the extension of Jesus' grace. And how do we, limited in our view as we are, know if or when that will happen? We don't. All we know is that God loves them. And so, as his children, we are called to do the same. I do not and cannot agree with an awful lot of things prevalent in this world— I'm not supposed to. I'm called to stand against them. I'm called to hate evil. I'm called to name it for what it is. But evil is not a person. And when I hear views that I label as such coming from a human mouth, my role is not to denounce the person. My role is to find a way to be like Paul, to be everything to everyone, to find common ground with that person so that I can love them, so that they can connect with and love me. And once we're part of the same tribe, even if just for a moment, then my job is to show them who God is. God is bigger than a tribe or a town or a city or a nation. God is bigger than liberal or conservative. And he calls us to be bigger, too, to be better, to be better today than we were yesterday, 
to be better than our human natures want to be, to be better than we think we can be because it hurts. But we have Christ in us, and that means we can do all things. We can be in pain, or we can be in bliss. We can be the victors or the defeated. We can be in prison, or we can be in the White House. We can be rich or poor, hungry or full. We can be better. When we can't achieve it through our own power, we achieve it through His. And so, my friends, can they? Our fight, remember, is not against the people of this world. It's against the powers of darkness. But we can't fight the ultimate them if we're so busy squabbling with our own. My challenge to you and to myself is to stop seeing those of opposing views as them. And when we find ourselves actually face-to-face with someone who falls in that camp, then my job is to focus on finding that commonality rather than our differences. Find what makes them us, and then love them. Let's see what that might change. Check out rosannamwhite.com for information about me or my books and to subscribe to my newsletter. This episode of Wordfall is brought to you by the Tea Party Book Club. Books, tea, great conversation, all from the convenience of your own home. To see what this month's book is and to reserve a seat, go to rosannamwhite.com and click the Tea Party Book Club tab or follow the link in the show notes. Wordfall is a proud part of the White Fire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast for other shows I know you'll love.